everyone. So glad you found us on the map, the mental health and addiction podcast. I'm Kimberly Walsh, and I'm here with my fellow co-hosts, the wonderful Andy Bernstein and the outstanding Chris Long. Hi, guys. Hey. <laughs> we will get How to are our you? Happy Amy. Friday. Happy Friday. We'll get to our guest, Amy, in just a second. Um, just a quick background on us. Chris has been working with families and getting people into treatment for many years, and Andy is the former producer of Crosscheck Radio, which is which is also focused on mental health and addiction. I own Brady's Landing, which is a sober home for women, and I'm a person in long-term recovery. The three of us are passionate about reducing the stigma around mental health and addiction. So we put this podcast together so that we could shed some light on the reality of these diseases, um, incre- increase awareness, share stories of inspiration, and provide a platform to learn about the resources available if you or someone you know needs help. You can ask questions during the show via Facebook and YouTube, and you can view previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We appreciate your support and always welcome your feedback and especially your suggestions for topics. Okay, let's turn it over to Andy. Well, I thank you. God, that was such a, uh, uh, a mouthful of, 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 of information. That's good. No, it's good. Um, all right. Well, before we get started with Amy Bush, I always say that too, Amy Bush. Um, Chris, you sent over some information. I wanted to get your, you to share it with us. Yeah. About- so I got a, an email from a friend the other day um, about a detox that's here in Foxborough, Norcap Lodge. They're, uh, they're cutting back their uh, detox beds uh, by 30%. And as any of us know that there's detox beds are in high demand still, like everybody's full. The private places are full. The public DPH places are full. Um, I have a girl actually currently who's been calling for five days trying to get in and, um, to a detox. So what does that mean? When somebody says the detoxes are full for like somebody who's like, okay, well, you know, for the layman, I mean, what, what does that mean? How, how, what's the impact that, on that? Like, so if you call a detox, they'll tell you to call back, um, that they don't have any beds available. So what happens is various hospitals, other organizations, you know, they call and they'll do referrals and they'll put a bed aside. Um, and even though like, if you go to the, the website, it'll say nine beds available, but it really doesn't mean that there's nine beds available because it doesn't take into account the beds that are already promised per se, whether it be, you know, a pre-admission or whatever. So you have, you, I give somebody, I said, Hey, you know, such and such a detox has nine beds and they call and there's no beds and it's just, there's no beds. There's no beds available. On a waiting list sometimes too, right? They'll put them on a waiting list. But the yeah, fact put them on a waiting list and, yeah. you know, you go through different shifts and that list gets crossed off and people don't, you know, it's, it's yeah. a game. It's a hit or miss. If you get the right person that answers the phone and, you know, you're relatively pleasant and who in their right mind when they're going through withdrawals is pleasant. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know. Um, so it's just a big, you know, they're, they're cutting, they're taking 13 beds out of their 39 beds away. And that's a lot. That's a hmm. lot. Full though. Why, why the closure? Are they run? Is it just them? Is it just NORCAP running out of funds or what do we know the cause? Well, so they are part of Stewart health and Norwood hospital was hmm. their hospital, which is currently closed indefinitely. Um, we had that freak 
storm like about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, and everything got flooded. I believe their roof caved in and they had to shut the hospital down. Um, it says in the article uh, that NORCAP Lodge Addiction Treatment Center in Foxborough, it will close 13 of its 39 detox beds uh, at the facility and cutting staff and beds on that unit by 30%. It doesn't really... It just says it's COVID. I don't know if they've had a lot of COVID in there or if just COVID, how this is how COVID has directly affected them. Um, I reached out to my buddy who um, was working for them and now recently left because, because of COVID, I guess, and has gone elsewhere. But he was, in, he was the VP of all of that area, the mental health and substance abuse. And he's like, it's really bad. So... Um, what, what happens, what happens if, so, okay, now he can't, you know, now the detox is closed. So what's the direct impact for somebody who is in treatment, you know, or wants to get into treatment or what have you, what's the direct impact? How does that affect they someone? Bed, they go out and use, if they use, they Thank you. dying. That's, that's what I'm saying. So and we are, I say this every time. We are at an overdose. We are on track to be one of the highest years since this uh, epidemic or pandemic or whatever you want to call it has started. Um, we're, we're, we're in bad shape. This is, this is, you know, this is just, it's going to hurt. Because right. the more closures, so the point being is the more closures we have. The less beds. The less beds, which means the less people are getting help. Right. Or people are turned away, they go back out in the street. Right. Yeah. And they're understaffed. And I've heard this numerous times from various places that I have put people that these places are understaffed. They are understaffed. You know, I don't know if they're understaffed because they got people got laid off and the incentive to not work because of um, unemployment, you know, was so comfortable, or if they just didn't come back. I don't really know the reasons why, but I've heard multiple times that these places that are stuffed to the gills with clients are understaffed. And I, I don't, I don't understand if they're, if they have people, they're making money. Why can't they hire? Because they make more money if they don't. Because <laughs> they get to keep people. more of the money or they get to keep more of the money. Either that or they can't find the right people or the people are not, you know, are not showing up because they do have their, their $600 a month or whatever in unemployment. In All right. So, I mean, a week. A week. <laughs> so let's, let's meet our guest here today. She's sitting patiently. Um, she looks like she's in a, um, a, uh, a doctor's office with her, <laughs> with, her office. Yeah, with her, with <laughs> her. That um, like I'm in a telehealth appointment right now. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> My husband set this up to get away from the children when we have to do Zoom meetings and things. I, I gotcha. No, it looks great. A great backdrop. A very yeah. Um, let's welcome our friend and Amy Bush. Amy is the president of the Dennis Messing Memorial Foundation. And Dennis Messing, I'm gonna let Amy tell us more about Dennis Messing and um in a second, but, um, Amy's doing very, very good work out there. And, um, uh, both on the, uh, clinical so, you know, or as a professional 
in her day job, but also as a, I didn't say as a professional in her day job, but also as a um, founding a nonprofit. So let's learn a little bit more about the Dennis Messing Foundation and the great work you're doing. Hi guys. Thanks so much for asking me to come on. Um, I know I missed you guys. I'm like, this is awesome. Um, yeah, so Love Dem- Amy. Memorial is, um, or DMMF as we call it for short, uh, we're a nonprofit, 100% volunteer. Um, and basically we do two different things. So one thing we do is we raise money through just fundraising and donors and we scholarship people to 12-step based treatment or sober living. Um, we do a lot more of the sober living aftercare these days. And then the other piece is we help the children left behind. So if a parent, uh, child's lost a parent to overdose or has one in active addiction and the caregiver needs funds, they can apply to us from anything like um, we do a Christmas program, we've done hockey equipment, dance lessons, um, anything that they need, backpacks, school supplies, literally like anything the kid needs to just like be a kid and thrive, they can apply to us to, to help them out with that. Because as we know, we're losing so many people to this disease and a lot of them have children that get left behind. And, um, the person that's picking up the pieces usually isn't financially prepared for that. So that's kind of like the second half of what we do for DMMF. Um, how did it all, how did it all originate? How, tell us kind of how the foundation came to be. And so really the, um, in 2015 is like when we actually started, Um, and basically what we were just honestly sick of burying our friends, like that's really kind of what it came down to was we were losing. I've lost so many people that were like close to me to this disease. Um, I've been sober for 13 years now. Um, and I'm an active member of a 12 step program. And so we've had a ton of loss and, um, I just got to a point where I was like, you know, I got sober through the 12 steps and there's a bunch of places that at that point were coming up and kind of like that was the focus on like these different like sober livings or treatment centers and stuff. And I'm like, a lot of the people that we were losing didn't have access to that stuff because either they didn't have insurance, they had mass health. Um, Those are kind of the people we focus on homeless, you know, people who don't have any access to money. And so it got to a point where like, we have to do something, we have to do something. And I remember I was talking to a friend of mine, I grew up with my friend, Bobby and um, you know, and he just had so many barriers. It was like always something like, oh, I can't leave the kids. Oh, I don't have money. Oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. And I'm like, and I remember saying to him like, you know, well, what if we could get the money? You know what I mean? Like trying to figure this out with him. And at that point he wasn't really willing to do anything, but he ended up passing. And, um, and he was like my best friend since I was like six years old, you know? And I was like, oh my God. And that was kind of one of the, he, he was very close to me. And before that, my cousin Freddie had passed. Dennis Messing passed a month after my cousin Freddie. So it was like all these people in a row where I was like, if we only had like a way to help these people. So that's kind of how it started. And I really felt in my heart, I wanted to do something like a nonprofit. I wanted to do it like volunteer. So it wasn't like we had any ulterior motives, right? Because once you start, I feel like once we start kind of making money, like, you know what I mean? With something like this, the the motive changes, you know what I mean? And so I wanted it to be like genuinely just about helping somebody and like really giving them a chance that they wouldn't have without us. And, um, basically so kim messing was dennis's wife and we were out at so my friend stevie was struggling with heroin addiction and uh he was in a holding and he called and i said would you mind if i did a GoFund for you and he's like i whatever at that point he didn't care right so right. i started go fund and i basically put in the GoFund that we've seen a ton of GoFund me's for people's funerals can we do this so that we can avoid that? Right. Like, can we raise some money to send this kid to up in New Hampshire? There's a um, 
treatment center. That's a 12 step based treatment center. It's very expensive. So I did a go fund in two days. It raised like a couple thousand dollars. Um, I called up to the treatment center. They were willing to help. We got the kid up there and it was awesome. And that's kind of the, the original, like how it happened. And then Kim Messing came to me and said, what are you doing? What's going on with Stevie? And, and I told her and she said, all right, cause we got like the first half of the money. And she said, let me write the check for the rest. Um, I raised some money in Dennis's name and I really want to use it for this, you know? So I was mm-hmm. like, okay. And like, at that point she didn't have a ton of time. So she br- literally brought me to the bank and signed me on to the accounts and said, if you want to start this nonprofit, go for it. And so I said, all right. And she's, she had it as Dennis Messing Memorial Fund. And so we just changed it to Dennis Messing Memorial Foundation. And, um, and there we went, you know, and we started and, and it was like very slow, you know, like we did our own website. We really had like a couple friends in the program helping us do like what we were doing. And I mean, it's still relatively small. Like right now it's pretty much me, Emily Solomon and Liz Loud who kind of do all of the, the main things, me and Emily do all the applications and stuff. So it's still, it's still pretty small, but, um, we've been able to help a lot of people, you know, so it's been really good. And, and speaking about, you know, talking about helping people, you know, you, you talk about, um, scholarships and stuff. Can you speak a little bit more to kind of how you're help? Uh, you know, like w- when you say helping people, can you explain like what you do with when, when somebody donates, like where the money is? Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's so the, all the money goes to, to the people we help or to fundraising, um, but mostly just to the scholarships. So be, usually the process is that if a person is in treatment, detox or holding, they apply to us online. So it's dmmfboston.org. They go in, they apply, we get the application on our end, um, see if they're you know appropriate. We call usually the caseworker. And that's the thing with the understaffing. It's tough because sometimes you can't get the caseworker or you can't get in touch with the person. So Sometimes there is some challenges with that. Um, but now we've kind of made relationships in a lot of the facilities that we can find a way <laughs> to okay. get to the applicant. Right. Um, so once we get them, we do a phone screen, talk to them about kind of what it looks like, if they have access to any funds. Um, and then if they don't, you know, basically what we want on our end is like, we want them to be detox holding for at least two weeks before will scholarship. Uh, we want them to commit to at least three months in treatment after. So like if we're sending you to sober living, we want you to commit to stay there for at least three months. Some of the places we work with, they make you commit to six months. So depending on where they're going. Um, and we kind of just talk to them about, you know, aftercare, what it looks like. Most of the people we work with, like I said, um, this isn't their first time. Right. right? So they kind of understand like what it's going to take to get sober. And we, we want to make sure that they're really willing So that's kind of the process. And then we work with wherever they're going. We usually pick the place that they're going um, just from what they tell us, what makes more sense. And if they have like a job that they can go back to, we'll try to take that into consideration. Um, So we work with places in Portland, Maine, New Hampshire, Boston, like all over. Um, We used to have a place in Arizona. We could send people. Um, They, they shut down a couple of years ago, but they gave me probably, I mean, they saved like half my family's life, those people. <laughs> so, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So then you, um, you also did work. You were also recognized by the Patriots. Yeah. So that so was, tell, tell, tell us about that. So the new England Patriots have a, which I didn't even know about that. They did this before um, was they have a difference maker of the week that they do. So for the whole season, they pick one difference maker every week. And Emily, who runs the foundation with me, 
nominated me obviously without my knowledge so then she calls me one day and she's like hey get some like really good news whatever I'm like what she's like so surprise I nominated you for this thing and they picked you and I'm like what are you talking about so we got to go on the field um with all the other people that got nominated and like they give me a football with my name on it that's a difference maker and it like it was all for volunteerism and it was like really it was awesome and I got a selfie with Bob Kraft and 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 for that alone it was worth it right for that alone now now Kimberly as someone who uh, Kimberly owns a suburb living home for women on the Cape and um and sandwich and so how you know, I wanted to get her thoughts on some of the work that you're, because uh, it sounds like you guys are kind of in the same world a little bit. Yeah. Kimberly? I'm sorry, you, my internet was bad. You were freezing. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. What a, what a huge honor to receive, Amy. That's great. No, uh, and as far as from the sober living perspective. From the and- sober living, yeah, Scholarships are great. When we can scholarship, we absolutely do. Um, I love the fact that you that you make them commit to three months um, and often six months because I really do feel that in this um, in recovery and everything about recovery, you have to at least make a commitment of a year. I mean, once you get the year under your belt, then you're far more apt to be successful, you know. And 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 I think that a lot of people who come in, you know. They can't, it's hard for them to make that commitment ahead of time. Well, I'm going to make a year commitment. They don't want to do that. You know, they're just like, they're still, they're trying to work one day at a time, you know? So, so the fact though, that, that you can present that the right way and, and actually have them come in and, and make those changes is amazing. Just kudos to you. Um, so Amy, the other question I had for you is about DMMF kids. Can you explain more about that as well? We love the kids. Um, So the kids, (laughs) yeah. So one of the reasons we started the kids was, so that was always a big thing on my end because when my cousin Freddie had passed away, his son was six and he was like with us all the time. And so when he had passed, like I remember his son was in my car probably a couple weeks after the services. And he said to me, you know, if dad kept going to those meetings with you guys, do you think he would still be here? And I'm like, and it just like broke my heart, right? Like it's still... It's, I just remember looking at him being like, you know, buddy, I don't, I don't know. Right. Like, I don't right. know what would have happened if he, ca- you know what I mean? And in like my cousin that passed, like he tried more that if anybody wanted to get sober, it was this kid, you know what I mean? And like, right. sometimes that's the thing is like you like being taken out of the situation and going to treatment or sober living or committing to that couple months. And like, just having that time where like, eventually you get will, right. Like, even if you're just right. like, willing, you get a little more willing as you go. And just like, you know, that kind of broke my heart because now this kid is, he doesn't have a dad. Right. And he's growing like, this is, you know, he was six. So that's like the rest of his life. Right. So, um, so that was always one of the things. And when we started, I remember being like, well, if we, if we can help the adults then the kids won't be left behind. Right. So let's start with that. And then I think we're about a year in, we started DMMF kids and, um, we do a Christmas program. So like people can adopt a family. And tell, be- tell me about last, the event last year was yeah, great. So last, last year we did skate with Santa and um, it was really awesome. It was at the warrior arena in Brighton. Um, we got to watch the Bruins practice before, which was 
really awesome for the kids. And then we had a big breakfast. Santa came, he gave out presents and then we, um, and then all the kids got to go skating with that. We had a bunch of raffles and it was a really, Andy was there doing the podcast. It was really fun. And, um, and part of what we do with, with the Christmas program is that event. If a family has sponsored somebody, they can come to that event and drop off the presents. Um, or they, they connect with me or Emma Blitzer who runs the kids part and, and kind of, we get the presents to the family. So what we do is we have, if you sign up to, um, like my friend, he signs up every, his son passed a few years ago and every year he signs up to, to sponsor a family, you know, when he buys the kids, all the gifts and stuff like that. And so it's like really cool. Cause we have a lot of these people that have lost children that that's the, that's a way they can give back and they can, you know what I mean? Feel right. like, feel like good about it. It's really like a cool tradition that one of my friends has after he lost his son. Um, so yeah, so, and it's nice because we have families that, you know, they really need help and the kids probably, you know, they might get a couple things, but they really can't afford what they want and stuff like that. So it's, we kind of fill in the rest as the foundation, but like last year, I mean, I think we did 20 families and every family got adopted, which is amazing. Aww. Yeah. You know, so it was like really cool that, and I have certain people too, like, um, that always want to help. So I always like, if I get a last minute call, I call them and I go, Hey, I got this family. And they're like, no problem. We got it. I mean, it's like the week of Christmas. Um, but two years ago when we, the first year we did the Christmas thing was really amazing because we had got an application and Emma committed to it. And she's like, Oh, so then she looked at the address and it was in New Jersey. And she's like, Oh, okay. What are we going to do? And I was like, well, we could just Amazon the gifts there or something. Right. And, um, she called me right the week of Christmas and she goes, you know, my, her daughter at the time was, I don't even know, probably nine or something. And she's like, she's never been on a plane before. I think we're going to, um, I think we're going to just like fly there and and do the gifts there. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm just going to fly with my daughter. It was the day before Christmas Eve. They got in a plane, they flew to New Jersey. They went to target, they bought all the gifts and they showed up at the house and delivered oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He and delivered them and then flew back that night. So wow. it was really, really, we have some really cool people that very dedicated, very dedicated. Yeah. She was like, I have some jet blue points. I'll just go there. I'm like, and she has other kids too. So she like, you know, but it was like one of those things where I was like, that's like Christmas, you know, like that's like one of those like little miracles. And this mom was, um, when they got there, the mom was actually not there because she was being evicted from her apartment. So they showed up at the grandmother's house where the kid was with all the stuff. And, uh, and it was just the, the gratitude from this family, the pictures that she had sure. sent, like blown away, you know, and the mom's it's like, keeps you going. it was unbelievable. You know, yeah. it was one of those things where it was like, wow, like that's what it's about, you know? So, I mean, being able to at least help a family, especially when it's like that, cause a holiday, you know how it is too, when you lose somebody like sure. that that are really tough and to be able to like take a little bit of the financial burden off or give the kids like, you know, a, a sec, a couple seconds of joy, right? Like anything to just kind of help them get lighten through. the load a little bit. Yeah. And that's what it's about. You know what I mean? So, and the kids are definitely my long-term goal for that is like, you know, someday I'm going to get a donor that's going to help me build a camp for them. Oh, the summer. That's my, my goal is like, someday they'll have a free camp that they can go to and just be kids and like have a, a therapeutic environment to be together. That's like, you know, well, I know. And that's, that's the thing I was going to ask you. That's a really good segue. And, and I know Chris, you had something, but um, I don't matter. No, you matter. <laughs> I, I got to take a tour of your house. It's like being on a realtor show. I, a real estate show. Diaper. We're doing I got to here. see, I got to see all kinds of things in your house. Um, <laughs> I see a chandelier. Anyway. <clears throat> um, my question to you is, 
obviously with the COVID here, how, how is this impacting the foundation? Um, you know, what, what are some of your plans or are there any plans in the works to kind of get around this pandemic, if you will? How, yes. how, how, what are you guys going to do? So right now, so we've been really lucky. We got a pretty big donation before COVID had hit. So I, w- I was looking at the numbers last night, actually, and we've sent 22 people to treatment since COVID, since March. Um, and we have two on the line. So that'd be 24 total, which is amazing when you think about being in the middle of a pandemic and um, still being able to send people to sober living and stuff. Sure. Um, so that was cool. And the fundraising has been an issue because obviously we can't do our normal fundraisers. Our big comedy show had to get canceled. That's the biggest event we usually have at Florian Hall. Um, so right now we are looking to try to do the wiffle ball tournament next month. I don't know if it's going to happen, honestly. I really don't. Um, but I was, we are looking at maybe doing a motorcycle run. Okay. In memory of a friend of ours that passed. Cause that was, he wanted to do one for us and um, he ended up passing away of this disease in October, last October. And they want to do a poker run, right? Somebody said, did you hear the, have you heard that term? No, what's that? They go from different stops. I did a motorcycle run. I didn't do it, but I put one on. Oh, okay. And, and it's different, but they all wanted to go to like restaurant to restaurant to restaurant along the way. Oh, okay. I don't like know. Stops along. Stops yeah, I don't along. ride a motorcycle, but Emily does. So I figure she'll be. Uh, oh, okay. I'll just be on the sidelines. Watch it. Yay. Or maybe <laughs> ride on hers in the back. Right. But I'll like be I, on a motorcycle. I know how you operate. You're going to be like, oh, that one's flashy. Give me a helmet. Yeah, Let's exactly. Yeah, I know how you work. But I feel like yeah. that's a good COVID fundraiser because everybody's in their own space. Yeah, yeah that's a good and idea. Everyone has helmets, right? That I mean, I feel like it could work. I need yeah. to figure out how to do it, but I feel like it could work. You know, Andy, the, yours sounds like a pub run. That's right. what I was I saying. Know. Basically, that when we did it, everybody was like, "Oh, what about a poker?" And I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "I don't know." But I will tell you, just a quick aside: the the thing with the motorcycle run is what we found is if the weather is bad, you're in trouble because they won't come out. They won't bring out their bikes. Right. No, suicide. Right. And then you were like, Oh God, I play. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope it doesn't rain. You just have a rain date, Andy. It's really not that difficult. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We're open to suggestions. Well, I have ideas. (laughs) Can I I get into this? Because I wish you would. Yeah, well, would you stop talking long enough to let All one right, of them Fine, go. Good. All right. So, Amy, um, without going into detail, um, you've been doing this for a few years now with donations and everything else. Uh, we've seen it because we've seen it. The bad sober houses. The sober houses that you used to have, that, used to, that change the staff, that don't provide the services that you, you know, the expectations that you, ex- you expect. Um, you know, are you seeing that trend? Are you seeing, you know, a program that you put somebody in and it was amazing six months ago and it shifted and now it's one of those ones that you wouldn't put your dog in? Yes, definitely. I mean, and I think that's so important because even recently, what a place that we've used, I got, um, some information the other day where they were like, Oh, so-and-so went there and he said, that's not what it's like. Like they don't do the steps and they don't do this and that. And, you know, so we're under the impression that like when we tour and they give us all this 
um, information that that's actually actually what's happening. And I think for a lot for the beginning, a lot of these places, it is what's happening. And then some, I think, like you said, like things change, people, staff changes, house managers might change or whatever. And it's not the way it was, you know, so we have to constantly be talking to the people going through constantly. And what the nice thing about DMMF is a lot of the people we scholarship come back and volunteer for us. So they stay involved with us and the house. So we can kind of like, and a lot of the houses come to our events to volunteer. So then we can kind of talk to the guys and go like, oh, so how's it going? And get that kind of information or the girls or whatever. Um, the women's houses are solid, but it's only, we only work right now, which I would love to hear about um, your house, Kim, because right now we only have Howe House and um, Grace House and they're both amazing, solid. And that has never ever wavered, right? But there, there has been, I think there's so many houses and there's so many PHPs popping up from those houses. Yeah. It gets really difficult because, you know, you have this house and you're, you're focused on that and then you open something else and that kind of takes the focus away. So you see a lot of the great houses, they end up shutting down yeah. because once you bring the insurance piece into it, it's, it's hard to keep the two separate and you really, it's really better, I think, to focus on one or the other because you will distract, you'll take away from the yeah. if you're opening an IOP and it's while it's convenient, it's not necessarily what's best for the, the people going through. Absolutely. Let's talk, talk for a second about sober living as a whole, because, um, you know, because it's you know, a racket. Some of it is. Some of it is, but let's talk about why. What makes it unique, and you know, it because it, it, it's kind of a relatively new. Well, to and me, tilt your camera down. You're you're cut off at the eyeballs. Listen, you want to talk technical? We, we, <laughs> all right, all right. I've just seen your whole no. house. I've seen what's in your laundry contents. Okay. <laughs> God, it's Friday. Uh huh. Um, but but my my question to you is, let's talk about sober living as a whole because isn't it relatively? Um, maybe it's been rebranded as a different, you know, a name. You know, sober living. I don't know what was it called before. You know, transitional housing. I don't know. But let's talk about what what this entity is for people who maybe not understand exactly what what it is. Me. Yeah. Oh, I was like, who yeah, is no, but just like explain, explain the advantages to sober living, why we need it. What, what does it do and what well, we're hoping to accomplish with it. And sober living is a broad term, right? Like right. there's so many different, which is why we go and tour all the houses, meet the people who are running the houses, find out what the, the structure is. Um, so, you know, there's like the halfway houses, which are usually like the state funded stuff. And that's like pretty in the state. Yeah. And they're pretty like, you know, you kind of know the regiment there and what's going on there. Cause it's like most of them, like Gavin house has been around for a thousand years. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. what the structure Gavin is. and Miller are really the only two male halfway houses. left no. in the state. Oh, isn't what's a uh, Gillies Gillies is not halfway. Right. No, okay. Sober living structured. So, okay. yeah, so sober living kind of like the step after that. And a lot of people, um, you know, go the, go just straight to sober living. I mean, I think the benefit is, is that like, if you're in a good house, you have solid people around you that are trying to stay sober and do the right thing. So you have that community feeling and especially with COVID right now. I mean, I've been encouraging everybody. I mean, I usually do anyways, but even more so like, listen, 
it, we can't go to in-person meetings. Like now they're starting to, to pop up, but I'm like, we need each other. So like, if you're in a sober living environment, you got a way better chance. Cause at least you have those people together, right? Like getting that common bond, the whole connection piece for us, you know, as a sober alcoholic, like that's what keeps us going. Right. So like yes. being able to connect with another human being. And I mean, for me, zoom has been amazing. I love zoom. Ah. Uh, no problem with it. I'm helping a ton of newcomers. I'm meeting mm -hmm. a ton of people on it. Um, but a lot of people are very uncomfortable with it. They don't like it. I always tell the people that like when I speak at a meeting, like a 12 step meeting, I'm like, all you people who said you're over zoom or I don't do zoom. And I'm like, zoom. get over yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's what we have. I, well, it's yeah. great. I talked, I talked to people all over the world. Yeah. Me too. Right. I spoke in a meeting in California last week. They're like, Hey, would you want to do a meeting in Israel? I'm like, yeah, whatever. Sure. Right. You know, oh, it's an experience that I don't want to miss. Right. But I've been sober for a long time. So it's a little bit, it, it's different for, for people who are trying to get sober, but I have a, I know a girl who literally has never been to an in-person meeting and I'm like, this is yeah. crazy. You know, that's going to be the kind of the story when we finally do get out of COVID that this is my first in-person, but I'm six months clean. Yeah. Right, right. And it's amazing what yeah. you can do with that, you know, but I do feel like if you're in treatment and you have a chance to be with other people like that, it's a good, it's a good thing. As long as they're all doing the right thing, you know, cause there are houses where, you, you know, you go in and it's like, if you relapse or you get a dirty urine, they are like, Oh, well, and they keep you, or you go to detox and come back the next day. It's like, you know, crazy thing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that you have to just be careful of who you're working with because you don't want, if it's a sober house that's in it for the money, then that's not kind of the, what we want to be working with. You know what I mean? But if it's a sober house that's solid and really helping people and like getting them connected to somebody to do the steps, like my home group and my 12-step fellowship is um, a lot of people from sober living come to that group. So we scoop them all up. So that's another, like, you know, so I can see the benefits too because they're living in a sober environment. They're coming to pro the the meetings and they're getting connected with other people in the, in the fellowship. And it's amazing because those are the people who I see make it, you know what I mean? If they stay and like I said, I want to go back to like committing to three to six months. Usually if you stay somewhere for three months, you're staying for six, right? Like most people, unless they have a family or a reason that they need to go home, yep. they're, they're committed and, and things are going well. And, and what I've seen is like, they either become house manager, they move to the next phase, whatever it is. And a lot of the people that we send up to Maine, they end up living there. They end up moving to Maine. <clears throat> but I, don't have, you I think it's, I think it's, you're, you're spot on because you, you put somebody in an environment where there's 50 or 60 people and then they step down and they might go to like 35, 40 people and then they go to sober living and now you're at 12, 18, maybe 20 people, but you still have that people connection. Whereas if you go from detox to residential PHP, whatever, you skip the IOP and you go home now you're at home. Has the environment at home changed? Has it, has it educated itself? Has it, you know, you're just putting somebody back into that toxic relationship and then you put them in front of a computer screen where, you know, they maybe aren't comfortable sharing with everybody in the room about what they're going through here at home. It's funny. I, I do the Boston, Boston recovery support page. And I have, you know, four questions you have to answer in order to get in. And people are, you know, they'll say, do you need, do you need help with anything? And some people will say, yes. Yeah. So I reach out 
and they're like, I need a human meeting. I need a people meeting, you know? So yes, yesterday, the day before I'm like, uh, human meetings, AA meetings, Boston, Brooklyn area. And people were cracking up because, you know, it's a human meeting, not a zoom meeting, but people responded and there are, they are coming up. They're outside, they're in parks. They are there. You just have to ask, you have to be plugged in to where people are. And, you know, sober homes, I, I mean, I'm all about them, but I'm very frustrated with how some of them, you know, I put people in homes and they say this thing and it's not what it is. And I you- went to one to watch, to do a filming for, um, a, you know, a, rec- a video for a, um, like a promotional piece they, they wanted. Frightened. <laughs> I was frightened by it. I was very concerned. Like I, I, it wasn't the house. It was just, you know, kind of the approach kind of scared me a little bit. And I, I can't go ahead. I'm sorry, Andy, go ahead. I just, I, I questioned the, the, the person who I didn't get a good vibe from the person who was running the place. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't, there was something weird about it to me. Like, like, so I think, you know, you have to be careful, I guess is, you know, so working with people like you, all of you to kind of at least be able to help navigate the waters. Cause I know you want to steer anybody wrong. Sure. And like Amy was saying too, and even Chris, because like I was saying a couple of weeks ago, the opening up of meetings, even when they're outdoors and everyone's practicing social distancing and wearing masks is monumental. It's, it's instrument. It's critical for the newcomer because you know i've had that happen just like you said amy someone comes in they've only ever been to a zoom meeting that's it you know so they don't even know what and they still have the commitment in the in that type of thing so the sober homes i think need to have things in place during covid that they can do because boredom is our enemy they need to be able to to go to meetings and connect we would connect facetime to people in california you know what i mean but that was a connection and and because there's so few they were able to have that connection so it's that that's the foundation of the of the 12 steps is is the human connection you know and it's while it's difficult on zoom it's if you look at the good things that can happen it's you know love love zoom um amy where can people get in touch with you how can they um um the best way if you go on our website dmmfboston.org that's the best way. Um, there's like, you can fill out the volunteer form. You can apply, you can email us. Um, the, either, any of those things works for us. But if you go on dmmfboston.org, that's probably the best way. Um, we have a ton of volunteer opportunities. So if people want to get involved, I mean, I don't know about the events coming up, but even if people have ideas about virtual events and want to get involved, we would love to hear them. And we always love having, we run on strictly on volunteers. Um, you know, so that's like the main thing too, is that because we're hundred percent volunteer, we literally rely on that. So we, most of the sober homes we work with always send, you know, I mean, we'll have like guys houses, they send like 10 guys to set up the women's houses, send girls to like help with like different things like crafts or whatever. We usually do a big Halloween event, um, trick or treating for the kids, like, a mini, like pumpkin patch. We do like a makeshift pumpkin patch and stuff like that, but I don't think trick or treat. What is it? Trunk or treat. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's outside and it's like this circle. So we have like usually volunteers giving out candy and then we make a huge, we get pumpkins donated like 200 pumpkins 
and we spread them across the lawn. So the kids get to pick them and paint them. It's really, it's like my favorite, it's in my hometown too. It's in Hyde Park. So that's probably why, but it's my favorite event. And, um, but I don't know that we'll be able to, um, to do it this year just because of COVID and, you know. I bet you there's a creative way we could get around that. I know. I really do. Well, there's a a way. Right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll put our heads together because I I have some thoughts and I I just think you guys are great. Amy, you are, you are one of my favorites in the, in the, this world of uh, addiction. I appreciate that. No, you are. (laughs) Amy's great. And uh, um, anything we can do to help, of course, we will. Thank you. Any ideas? Yeah. Any, we've never done a virtual like fundraiser. I'm actually on the Samaritans committee this year. So I'm learning a ton from them. They're amazing. Um, so I, I've been do like kind of getting involved with them just in the, they're doing a virtual 5k. So that's pretty cool. So I don't know, maybe we could pull one of those off, but yeah, we'd love to get involved. Right. Got, right. I mean, if there's something we can do, Absolutely. yeah, um, uh, we come back on again. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right, Kimberly, you want to take us out? Absolutely. All right, guys, that's our show for today. Thank you so much, Amy. We definitely want to have you back, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye.